This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, are we going the right way with the opioid crisis, or are we going the wrong way? Dr. Andre Wiseman, opiate addiction specialist and ICU physician, tells us how pharmaceutical companies are helping, politicians are not, and stigmas are creating roadblocks for those seeking help with their addictions. Also, do you have an old computer you don't know what to do with? Well, you might be able to still use it. Maybe it's watching TV or getting a little bit of work done. It's a laptop. Handy Andy Barrar has some tips and how to bring old computers up to speed and back to life a little bit with uh, getting in on the Google for that computer. It's true. Plus, are you okay with live TV? This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with live TV? Oh, sweet awesomeness. It's delightful. I like live. If are you okay? Would not exist without live TV. There is just no. so many and Florida. moments and Florida. Yes, Florida, and, Australia, and Australia, live TV, uh, and dumb drug dealers. Those are like the pillars of of are mm-hmm. you okay? Or Doug, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say dumb criminals in general. And yeah. Uh, yeah, live TV is special. I mean, when it goes right, it's magical, and when it goes wrong, it's also magical and like you know Mm -hmm. wrong in an entertaining way not like an actual disaster but all in all live tv is just entertainment man we have an awful lot of our tv friends that listen on the way to work the morning shows we get emails from everybody from all across canada we love it we love to hear from you when you're going in in fact we joke here that we're actually the morning shows morning show because so many uh, tv and radio folks listen to these things and then go share them and so I say that with love because live TV is awesome and sometimes on live TV shift happens. So this was shared out, by the way, um, by Farah in a moment of levity. So we're not beating up on Farah. She, in fact, shared this out. Global Nationals, incredible news anchor Farah Nasser had a live TV moment that she shared on Twitter. In the tweet, she says this. Sharing because we all need to laugh these days. Turns out it's not just at Ford Nation, uh, Premier Ford. I swallowed a fly on air today. And um, very much a first world problem given the story I'm introducing in brackets. And this is the story and the sound of Farrah Nasser swallowing a fly on live TV. See if you can figure out when it happens never seen an unbroken cycle of monsoons quite like this eight weeks of non-stop torrential rain a national emergency has been invoked has been invoked but the weather in pakistan extreme weather is alarming meet the Garcha reports oh, wow. oh so sorry. what a champ she yeah. finished it I, I would have given up i would have just thrown to break i would be like nope sorry Somebody there was no there was no uh like hacking up a fur ball, there was no coffin, there was no pause at all. Um that's the sound of Farinasser swallowing a fly on live TV. In fact, it is so good, I think we should probably do it one more time. Never seen an unbroken cycle of monsoons quite like this. Eight weeks of nonstop torrential rain. A national emergency has been invoked has been invoked, but the weather in Pakistan, extreme weather, is alarming. Need to go check reports. <laughs> oh, 
so you, can, you can feel it even. Yeah, yeah you, you can, can just you feel really it. can. It's like a yeah. geez, that doesn't really get much worse. And it wasn't amazing. She didn't even bring attention to it, right? Nope. You know, and Doug Ford swallowed the bee. You know, he was joking. He's at a press conference talking about healthcare. Swallowed the bee. Nope. Farrah Nasser is a journalist. Mm-hmm. Got the story what a champ, man. Very cool. Well done, Farah. High fives to you. Okay, this is Are You Okay With? We're going to start this next segment here completely out of context. Looking out the window, that's a paddling. Staring at my sandals, that's a paddling. Paddling the school canoe. Oh, you better believe that's a paddling. Are you okay with... Corporal punishment. Ooh, that's a big one, eh? Uh, hmm. I think I may have gotten like spanked at, at, in discipline once as a kid. I can't at remember. School? Never at school, like oh. mom and dad, like once, but never at school. Uh, I can remember stories of my grandparents being like, "Oh yeah, the nun with the meter stick," and that you know hitting them right on the knuckles. That's what my grandpa always used to say. They get smacked mm-hmm. right on the knuckles, and I just what that felt wrong. And I'm glad that that's just not the way we go about that anymore. There is an entire generation of shift heads right now listening in their head. This is exactly what's happening. I'm going to say two words. Wooden spoon. That's it. There's a whole generation of people that were either chased by a wooden spoon, threatened by a wooden spoon, or spanked with one. Oh, um, terrible, it man. It was a thing. Yeah. Well, you listened. It was a Catholic school, elementary school. They were past the the strap. We used to hear stories of the strap. Um, however, some of the older teachers would uh, whip the meter stick around and bang the desks and stuff still and bang the, mm-hmm. the, the chalkboard when they were upset with the, the chatter in the classroom. It was pretty intense. So, yeah. yeah. Mr. Similar. Wade, grade five, McQuinna, High, uh, McQuinna Elementary School in Port Alberni, BC. He would, if you talked in his class, he would literally turn around and throw chalk or chalk brushes at you. Jesus. That's, like, yeah. that's, that's, that's an escalation. Yeah, I would suggest ther- would hurt. therapy at that point. Like. <laughs> yes, that's, that's very true. Yeah, that's not the way to do it, man. Um, it's 2022. As Ryan described, most schools no longer use the paddle as punishment. I mean, you'd think. At least not all schools. A school board in Missouri, unless you're rural, it's Missouri, has actually just reinstated the policy of the paddle. One of the suggestions that came out was concerns about student discipline, and so we uh, reacted uh, by implementing several different uh, strategies Corporal punishment being one of them. Dr. Johnson says this change will give principals one more disciplinary option before students receive more serious punishments such as suspensions. Administrators say it would be the last resort for parents and faculty members if other means of discipline do not work. It's something that uh, we don't uh, anticipate using frequently. This is an opt-in only option for parents. So anyone who disagrees with uh, corporal punishment, uh, they simply do nothing by not opting in. Johnson says he understands there will be different views on this decision and the district respects the opinions of parents who choose not to opt in. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I just, I, I like how middle America is moving backwards through time, backwards. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, very literally. backwards. They actually abandoned the policy in 2001. So, 
Which still uh, seems late. 2001. Yeah. NBC, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> like 2001. Like... Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, but also, like, parents who opt into it. That's also a conversation we should probably have. Um, parents were recently notified of a policy approved in June by the school board to once again allow spanking, but only as a last resort with written permission from the parents. Like, yeah, how mad do you have to be to... You're basically subcontracting discipline at that point. And I feel yeah. like you're hiring a hitman, except it's like a spank man. Um, family can, families can be asked if they opt in or opt out. I'll be curious, right? The three families. Yeah, right? you gotta do it. But and then they... I think that makes it worse. Can you imagine the hooligan kids in classroom? And they'd be like, Mrs. Johnson's like, Oh, do your old lady voice. Oh, if you're bad, this is a spanking. You want me to do the voice? Yeah, do it. Okay. Mr. Grayson, you listen to me right now. If you so much as whisper, it'll be a paddling for you, young man. And then the other kids are like, my parents didn't opt in, Ms. Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that backfires for the teachers. I wonder if like... Because they're like two kids in class that are okay to get whooped by their parents. And and then everyone else can misbehave, and those two kids they can't. Wonderfully, at you know, if there's like a particular student a teacher doesn't really like at like parent teacher night, they could try to negotiate or like upsell and be like, you know, you should upsell. think about upselling into this program. Mm-hmm. It's a great option. Yeah. We have certain packages that might suit the needs of your your child yeah. even better. That's what it feels. It's just so, man. Uh, These are. Uh, Here's some wild text messages. I remember having to go get my own stick with my grandparents. That would have been the worst. Go get my belt. And then you have to actually go get the belt. Oh, unbelievable. Um, I respected authority because of it worked on me. Wow. Um, Adam from Niagara grew up in an Italian household conditioned by the wooden spoon. Uh, chased by the roosters. Another one says, um, our principal used to put rock salt in the palm of your hand before strapping in 1983. Oh my. It stung. Jeez. That's assault, man. That's not even like, that's. Oh. No, it was oh. just rock. It was just rock salt. Oh my God. I <laughs> <laughs> was a really good joke on just the wrong thing, but I'm, yeah, it was really good. So yeah. we were talking about salt. We weren't making. Yeah. Yeah. Whooped. Oh, all right. Uh, can we just all agree that hitting people in general is something that Wrong. we all should just be better at avoiding? I think yes. we can agree on that. In so we've got to work towards that. Got to work towards that one. Um, are you okay with strangers? Strangers. Um, strangers, just a friend you haven't met yet. No. Yeah. No. I mean, in reality, sometimes, yeah. I, I, I don't mind when people like come up to me and just talk that's that's fine i don't really bother as long as they're not you know you can pick up the vibe pretty quick i find but <sighs> i don't really go out of my way to meet strangers in public you know yeah, yeah better than meeting strangers in your house yes oh, yeah that would that would be that's nice. strangers in a bar is fun right you go to an yep, event that yep, you both bar, like absolutely. or you're in a pub like i remember uh you know sitting at a uh, when it was hawaii by myself and i was sitting there and i ordered some fries and a beer and i was in a pub and i was sitting on the outside edge of the patio overlooking the water and this guy was sitting next to me chatting with his pal his pal got up and went to do something and i just said to him i was like hey you want some fries 
Oh, that's okay. How you doing? Where are you from? A little chat. We chatted for probably three or four minutes. His name was Jim. Still remember that? And he was all telling me war stories. He had this sort of Southern American accent. And he was telling me all these stories. And and then his buddy came back and he went talking to his buddy. And I ate my fries and drank my beers and left. And I was like, see you later, Jim. Nice to meet you. He's like, nice to meet you, Shane. And that was it. I mean, it was like four minutes of chatting with a dude. And I, two and a half years ago, and I still remember it. So that's cool. That's cool. I love that. Great story. Mm. I guess you know. Oh, I guess I'm okay with strangers in a bar, but it just depends on how long they've been in said bar, and mm. if they were yeah. in several bars before this one bar. I guess also would play into that factor. But mm. yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. Valid. A couple from Massachusetts had a stranger come to their rescue after a very unfortunate incident. Francesca Teal said she and her hubby were throwing a football in waist deep water at North Beach in Hampton. In Hampton. <laughs> Uh, when her diamond wedding ring, a family heirloom that originally belonged to her great-grandmother, flew off her finger, they searched, no luck, and then a stranger answered the call for help. Just let, had to let myself say, like, all right, I'm never going to find it. Lou saw her plea on Facebook, and after three separate trips, found it eight days later. I took a picture of the ring, and I sent it to Francesca and said, Please tell me this is the ring so I can finally get off this beach. <laughs> I freaked out. Like, I think I jumped up and I was like, it's it. It's it. He's got it. Not only is this someone's wedding ring, but this also used to be her great grandmother's ring with sentimental value attached to it. So how did it feel to be able to return that? Well, that was pretty much what motivated me to do that third and final trip it, to, to give it back. The ocean has plenty of rings. This one doesn't belong in the ocean. That's from CBS Boston. Uh, the hero in this story, Lou Assey, uh, drove more than 75 miles to search for Teal's lost ring. He ended up spending about 15 hours over the course of three days using his metal detector to search for the ring, committed, and found it. Okay, I don't want to be like that guy. But if you're wearing your great-grandmother's heirloom diamond on your finger on the ring, there are times to leave it at home. In fact, I would go as far as to say, why do you not have a mock version of it? Go get a fake diamond and a uh, a basic ring that looks just like it, that you can tell the difference, and then where you wear grandma's ring on special occasions and wear the mock version of it for your day-to-day. Like, I don't know, throwing a football in the ocean. Just saying. But pff, that's probably no fun. We wouldn't have an are you okay if everybody was responsible, I suppose. But I guess when it's that important, you'd think it would be a thought. Just a thought to go through your head. Uh, I used to get the yardstick on the bare butt. Oh, texts. We got a couple of texts about corporal punishment. Uh, Teeny says, uh, I used to get yardstick on the bare butt. I have since inherited said yardstick. And when I use it, not to hit anybody, I think of naughties what I did when I was a kid. Um, hey, guys, it's Baker. Where'd you go, Baker? No, I am not okay with corporal punishment. Uh, we're supposed to be removing violence from schools. Plus, I would be concerned about the repercussions from students who receive corporal punishment. For example, waiting for a teacher after school to beat them up in the parking lot. Interesting. This is fascinating. I had no idea. Hmm. Parents talk about stranger danger, but parents post pictures of themselves and children getting into an Uber and a taxi. Oh, that's interesting, too. All right, fascinating. 
This is The Shift Podcast. We've had the conversation here on The Shift. We've heard the conversation across all of Canada. Opioids. What are we going to do about it? The West Coast, it is, you know, constantly in the conversation all across Canada. And we've learned here on The Shift with our own family members that opioid users often are not who you think they are. We have this notion in our mind that they're a bunch of crackies, if you will, walking around the back alleys. But opioid users include everyday professionals, normal people, and probably even somebody in your family. So we all need to pay attention. We all need to learn more about this. And joining me now in this conversation to be able to learn more about what this is all about, what we need to learn about it, is a very special guest. Um, he's an opioid addiction opiate addiction specialist, ICU physician, Dr. Andre Wiseman. Thanks for being here, sir. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So um, students, professionals, Access to drugs, changing things. I thought maybe I would just start by, um, what do you see at work that we need to know about, sir, that we don't get to see? Is it the volume of people? Is it the, the, the level of cases that kids and teens are getting involved with opioids? What, what do you see? I see something very humane and very logical because uh, we all produce our natural opiates, which is endorphin. So our endorphins, they are our natural antidepressant, anti-anxiety, sleep modulators. Endorphins allow us to feel joy. Of course, they are painkillers as well. So we produce micrograms of endorphins a day, which is a tiny bit. So whenever somebody exposes their brain for whatever reasons to milligrams of the same substance, so it's a fantastic kind of a high. They will feel great and doesn't matter who they are. There's nothing to do with their psychological background, addictive personalities and all kinds of things people have been telling us for all those years. So whenever you expose your brain, your brain to opiates, there's a biological event going on, a chemical event that if you do it again and again and again, will turn into a medical illness which is a chemical imbalance. It's lack of balance at the receptor level of the endorphin system. So your endorphin system is compromised. And the moment the endorphin system is compromised, doesn't matter who you are, you're gonna hunt for self-healing because mm. you're gonna have to provide your brain opiates from outside and then this situation is that what will define you. So it's not that, uh, you know, I have treated over 24,000 people. And I, you know, many of the people I treated, I admired them before because they are known people. So I'm talking about the musicians, writers, lawyers, doctors, people from all judges, all walks of life. The problem is, that in the 60s, when opiate dependency became like a crisis, because the crisis did not start right now. Mm. Go on YouTube, there's a song, Junkies Lament, from Johnny Cash. And mm. in 1969, he started playing the song, and he talks about the opioid crisis that affects all walks of society. So this is a long story. Politicians bring them up, bring this story up, 
always before elections, but nothing has changed. And the tragedy is that they created 30 years ago what is called addiction medicine. And addiction medicine is like two train tracks that they will never meet with modern medicine. So addiction medicine is based on moral prejudices and theories, and there's no science there. Now, we're talking about a very, a very specific neurological event. And when you use modern medicine, this can be totally reversed. So we need to stop fighting the patients and we need to start fighting the illness. And the illness can be fought just on medical environment. So in, in the field of medicine, who is managing those receptors in the brain, they are anesthesiologists. Because when you go through anesthesia, they will give you opiates. The opiate should work for six hours, but the surgery was just two hours. How they right, wake right. you up? They wash opiates out of your brain. So, so who is dealing with this problem every day is anesthesiologists and critical care physicians, but actually the field of addiction who is treating those patients are social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists. Now, those people, they, are not, they don't have a mental health problem. They have a neurological, a chemical problem. It's like, you know, if I break my, 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 my foot, and, and it hurts and I start behaving funny, I don't need a psychiatrist because of my behavior. I need yeah, somebody I mean, to fix my bones. Talking about how bad your hurt, your foot hurts doesn't fix the bone, right? Of course, of course. Yeah. You know, and I cannot be defined because I, I'm behaving strange. Mm -hmm. So it's the same in this field. So the problem is uh, when this was pulled out from mainstream medicine, nothing developed, nothing developed, nothing happened. So, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing for 30 years. And all I'm doing is to use modern medicine to reverse a reversible medical condition, which is not a curse. People tend to believe that they're going to be suffering from that for the rest of their lives. This is not right. So that's why we have this epidemic. And until we start allowing opiate-dependent patients not to be, not to be moral confronted, but to allow them to enter the halls of modern medicine, society will keep paying this tragic price because you know, not just the people who die, people who are living like zombies, our veterans, children with cancer, that they are cured from the cancer, but they, due to pain management, they become dependent. And with 10, 11 years old, they go to school under the effects of methadone, that nobody can reverse that. That's mind-blowing. Let me ask you one question here, doctor. The, um, the, um, in today's, there's the way I understand it, this is your expertise, not mine, so help me understand, is that, so we have opioids, which would be pure opioids, true opioids, but then we have, in this conversation, the really tainted, um, lots of fillers and poisons and things inside what we call opioids. And I think that we often lose the distinction between both of those um, because it's the, the fillers and stuff that often kill people on the street. But then you have the medical people, like you talked about, people who are recovering from uh, conditions that are getting prescribed um, proper opioids that are getting addicted, not treated for it. Um, is there a way that when you go about it and you're looking at this, and I also want to acknowledge what you said, treat the illness 
it's not the person's the problem. It's the illness that's the problem. And I think that's so profound. Um, so how do you go about it when you've got like this, this dirty drug versus this prescribed drug? Okay, that's, that's what I'm going to tell you. It's, it's exactly the same treatment. Again, doesn't matter for me uh, what was the reason somebody have exposed their brain to opiates. Mm. You know, people tend to believe, oh, they have a lot of problems. They came from a difficult family and this and that, blah, blah, blah. That's not right. Most people I met, and I met a lot of those, those patients, they just use, you know, just to feel high, just to experiment, just because somebody offered, they felt great, so they used again and again and again. So there's no specific reason. So all the psychological and social social aspects of opiate dependency, they are they are not but but a secondary effect of the untreated primary illness. Because when when you are caught in that situation and nobody and help is not available, you learn to become somebody else. Because your body will create more receptors, then you're gonna need higher dosages, then you're gonna have you're gonna push yourself to do more hardcore crimes, and then you learn how to become somebody else. When the problem could be reversed at the first outset of the withdrawals, when somebody, you know, in, in the future, when somebody uh, exposed the brain to opiates, doesn't matter if it's for recreation or for pain. Once they develop a dependency that the fun is over, if they could go to a hospital and to say, okay, I develop opiate dependency, could you reverse that for me, please? and they'll be hospitalized in less than 24 hours, they will be healed, most likely they'll be, they'll make better decisions in the future and they would not need to live a life of, of crimes and, 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 and infectious diseases and hurting themselves, hurting the family, hurting society itself. But those patients, they are victims. Now, you see all those uh, you know, legal uh, things against the pharmaceutical industry, for example, they are not the guys that should be put against the wall because they are producing an excellent substance, you know, and doctors are prescribing. My question is, where are the academics? Where are the, 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 the academic institutions who receive so much uh, resources, budget, money to make research and research and research? And for over 50 years, they did not come up with anything. Zero for the benefit of the patients. So the problem here is that um, the academics are, are, are slipping. They are neg neglecting those patients and they are the ones who should be sued, in my opinion, because everything I'm doing is not because I have a, a, a special IQ. I'm just using modern medicine in a field that there's no medicine whatsoever. That's mind blowing. But it makes sense when you say that. Like it totally does. It makes sense because the only narrative we hear is that victim, like victimize the people, the users, right? That's the only narrative we hear. So what is the modern medicine uh, that, that Dr. Wiseman that we have here that, that you're using, um, that you're able to get access to that has been sort of, uh, well, neglected, as you said, for so long? How do you, how do you turn that around? And I loved it when you just said that you said, if someone could walk into a hospital and say, I am now um, addicted to opioids, can you please help me reverse that? I, how profound would that be in our lives if you could just go ask that question and get the help you needed? So how, how do we get there? So, so first of all, you have to understand that people, most people that I met in my life, they would rather be healthy than ill. Mm -hmm. so, so to blame those people, once they develop a dependency, the fun is over. They are ill. They wake up in the morning with nausea. 
with pain all over the body until they provide the body with what they need. So they're not having a good time. So if treatment, if an effective, safe and humane treatment to reverse that would be available, 99% of the people, they will reach out for treatment. Okay. Now, it's very simple. We're talking about the endorphin system. So 30 years ago, I realized that to detoxify or to overcome the withdrawals should not be my goal. Because what happened is that those patients, they develop new opioid receptors, as I said before, and those receptors will not disappear. So even if a patient succeeds to overcome the withdrawals, they will relapse because their own endorphins will be diluted. So they will not enjoy the benefits of their own endorphins. They're going to have mood swings and they're going to feel profound cravings. It's like a mental hunger. Now, craving is considered a psychological condition. Yes, it is. But it is a psychological manifestation of a biological problem. Yeah, well, your like, body craves things when it needs it, doesn't it? Like course, your body's no, telling your brain. It's not just when the body needs. Imagine that you have five stomachs right. and you start eating like crazy. So to send you to a shrink will not help you. Right, if right, I can take totally. four stomachs away, I don't need even to talk to you and right. you're going to be fine. So, yeah. so patients are accepted at the general hospital and they do a period of pre-medication, which is to assess the same systems that will be uh, not compromised, but will be working really hard once I start the treatment. So I protect those systems. When the patient is ready, the patient will go. It is not general anesthesia, but they do use anesthetics so the patient is unconscious. With that, the patient has to be enough awake. The patient is unconscious, but if I pinch the arm of the patient, the patient will move. Why? Because when I treat somebody that is dependent for two years, is not like somebody dependent for 20 years. So in order for me to evaluate the specific needs of the patients, I need a clinical response from the patient so I know how much to block this patient. Okay? So I start cleaning receptors with the medication. And once I start cleaning receptors at once, a process that usually naturally will take two weeks, takes me an hour because it's an active process. And then by doing that, I will trigger the withdrawals in waves. And then I have to reduce the waves with modern medicine, with tools we have in critical care. So I follow the waves to reduce stress and to protect the patient. And I keep cleaning receptors and blocking receptors until the waves are gone. And when the waves are gone, I know that I'm done. And then I can wake up the patient. The patient is after the withdrawals. I keep those extra receptors blocked. And then this process takes like four hours to five hours. And then the patient has to recover from that. The next morning, the endorphin system that is already working starts producing more and more endorphins. And that is the opposite of the withdrawals. Every two, three hours, the patient will produce more endorphins and will feel better physically and psychologically. 99% of the patients will be discharged in the following day that they need another probably two days to reach a good level of endorphins. And that's it. They go home just to optimize the system. And to optimize the endorphin system is a task that every human being should have. Good nutrition, physical activities, intellectual stimulation. Intellectual st stimulation is mainly 
gratitude and love. That's what keeps somebody balanced. So our, our rehabilitation after the procedure is almost just one meeting because we give the patient the tools so they can define themselves as they wish. We don't teach people how to live their lives. And more than that, those people survived in situations that I don't know if I would. So I have very little to teach them. I just go to the basics. You know, take good care of your vessel. You know, um, celebrate the miracle of life. Wake up in the morning with gratitude. Exercise love, and most likely you will be fine. And that's it. It's good advice for life, doctor. I just, uh, like, it is it is so good. And I mean, what I hear from all of this, and this is just sort of, uh, you know, the, the layman's brain listening, but, you know, we have a cause and effect problem here. And there, it seems like the current solutions are to only treat the effect and, and not the cause, right? And what happens when you can, when you can, inspirationally treat it right at the root of the problem and, and make the body work. I, I can't help but th- think of a couple things, right? Like so many people in life when their bodies say they feel like they crave food all the time, but then they realize they actually just be, could just be lacking one particular mineral in their diet. Maybe their body doesn't process iron. Well, I don't know, but then they eat, they eat, they eat. But once they figure out that, oh, by the way, when my body can get balanced again with iron, all of a sudden my food cravings are gone. We hear, we see this with the world today, that the solution, so many solutions in our world today is to let the world give the world the tools to fix itself. We replant more trees and then all of a sudden forests grow again and they're diverse forests and we hear all that. And so for you to say that this could happen in our body only makes total sense that if you give the body the chance to let it grow again, um, that you can actually, you know, clean it up and let it grow. I mean, that, that to me seems so simple and so profound. Listen, listen, it's very simple. We have a self-healing system that is more brilliant and intelligent than any physician. You have to understand that. In your body, in my body, there are millions of events happening at, at the cell level at every second. Once One go, goes wrong and we are dead. Now, you are alive and I am alive. So life is a miracle that repeats itself. So chemistry, I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot say bitch in the radio, right? You can, you go ahead. Okay, so chemistry is a bitch. You cannot bypass chemistry. Yeah, so as, as you said, you know, if you're not balanced, if your vitamin D levels are not good, if you don't have a good diet, that's what I said before, good nutrition, intellectual stimulation, and movement and physical exercise, those are the key rules to having a good life. So my job is to optimize the system and to correct the chemical lack of balance. And the patient takes it from there. The problem is we create problems, you know, and the remedies that we could create the, to the problems of today will become so profitable that we don't have we don't have any stimulation to solve them. Yeah, the industry it? of treating drug addiction and opioid dependence is billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. I was at the, at the American Senate. I spoke with dozens of senators in one meeting, and after the, the meeting, nobody came to talk to me. One came and said, "Dr. Weissman, you are rocking the boat." So what you're telling actually is that if every anesthesiologist will learn what you do, there's no crisis. And all the billions and billions of dollars will go away. We don't need to put people in rehab centers for six months. What you're talking is a treatment of 24 hours of hospitalization. You know, it's too cheap. It will cost the insurance companies $1,000. 
and today they are paying for treatments fifty thousand dollars. So yeah. what Dr. Weissman say is not good for the industry, mm-hmm. and that's Must- the tragedy. So the same with diabetes, the same with many other medical conditions that they should be treatable. The question is how cynical we can become. We are. And yeah. when we draw the line, the, the line on opioid dependence, let's say enough. You, you guys still have diabetes. You guys still have a lot of other illnesses that they should be curable, but they are not. So leave opioid dependency you know, out of your equation. Leave us alone. Let us treat those people like human beings. And, and, and that's it. Because mm-hmm. in America, every 15 minutes, you have a newborn with opioid dependency. This is crazy. You know, it would take me a whole 45 minutes to reverse that. You know? That's amazing. I, I, yeah, I get it. I mean, and, and imagine opioids. I mean, uh, the amount of crime that comes with the black end, uh, the dark side of the uh, of opioids versus even, you say, diabetes, right? Like, I mean, nobody's shooting each other over bags of sugar in a back alley, um, but they will do it over opioids. So why wouldn't you want to do that? So, I mean, that part alone, the, those morals and ethics, this yeah, is fascinating. criminality, you know. People yeah. have a motive for crime three times a day, yeah. you know. So to send police at the streets doesn't help. Heal them. One doctor will do what a thousand policemen cannot do. Yeah. One it's doctor. fascinating. Well, yeah. you know what? I hear your passion, doctor. I think it's amazing. And I love the stand you're taking. It must be daunting at times to look at that giant <laughs> mountain of a machine and uh, still have the courage to stand in it. And I'm grateful for that. Um, your passion is contagious. And I appreciate it. Okay. God bless. Thank, thank you for being here. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. All right, handyandymedia.com. Follow along. You can also go to uh, his YouTube page uh, from his website, link to that, and shiftheads.ca. He posts on there too. Andy, how are you, big fellow? I'm doing great, Shane. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And I'd like to acknowledge your beard. It's coming in nice. You're going long. Are you going to do it? You know, you inspired me last year because I noticed that in the fall, you start to grow a beard. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. So last year, I, I, I remember around this time, I'm like, okay, Shane, I'm going to do the same thing. So mm-hmm. I started growing a beard and it got pretty big. But this year, thinking that I was going to do the exact same thing, knowing that you were going to grow a beard, mm-hmm. I decided to get a head start. So I've been yeah. growing it. It's already big and like fall hasn't even started. I still got another month of summer. And then I, I think maybe by January, maybe February, I'll, I'll cut it. But like ZZ Top, here I come. It's coming, Shane. Nice. You, uh, your, your DNA, uh, gets you a much bushier, uh, beard, um, than my DNA does. Um, so yours is coming in nice and thick. I look forward to seeing how long it gets. And you know what? Let's just talk about beards for a second. Cause well, sorry, Ryan. Um, the, <laughs> he's got such Ryan a baby not, face. <laughs> he does have a baby face. He was not graced with the, uh, facial follicles and yeah. the chin region. It's fine. And I'll, take the hair on top yeah <laughs> hey true. he's got what was this some kind of <laughs> no no <laughs> Benny, you look great no it's more wow. it's now he started the... a fight 
<sighs> yeah, no, you look. You guys look great. You guys pull it off. Okay, let me explain. Mm -hmm. BK has no hair on top. Ryan has lots of hair on top. BK has hair on the chin. Ryan has no hair on the chin. So basically, <sighs> you guys good? You cool? Do you want to go sit in the corner? Yeah. Think about what you did. No, I'm good. Fine. I'm good. Now, All right. I guess. Uh, I, I just think it's, you know, there's something about it. I like the, I like the change. I think that men should just, you know, play with their look more often because so many of us are guilty of having the same haircut since high school, you know? Yep. And, and I think that men should play for with their, their, their face a little bit, right? Um, by my ex-wife's husband, um, my kid's stepdad, he's grown out, uh, just a mustache and it's a gigantic push broom. Like it is good stuff. And, you know, she hates it, but at the same time, we were just sitting watching hockey, all of us together. And, and she's like, yeah, but you know what? It's kind of fun to have a change. And more men, I encourage more men to try it, just like you are. Yeah. Well, I, you inspired me. And you know what's funny, Shane, is during my 20s, I never grew a beard. Like I never even thought of, of growing a beard. It was always like a goatee or I was kind of clean shaven or I had those little pencil beards. You remember those mm -hmm. guys used to always oh, yeah. have those? Yeah. Um, but, but I think it was around 30 in my mid thirties, I finally grew one and everyone was like, Whoa, you look good with the beard. And I was like, huh, how come I never did this before? So now mm -hmm. I do it every year during, during the fall and winter, I try to grow a beard, but you know, I got a salt and pepper beard, but I'm getting more salt than pepper. And it's also not evenly distributed these salt and pepper. Like there's, I got this one patch of just whiteness on the side. And on the other side, there is no patch of whiteness. So it's all over the place, you know. Uh, you can't. The white's a tough one, man. Anyone uh, listening right now, all the shift heads that have already gone through the, the salt and the pepper and the white. I mean, it's so unpredictable. You got to embrace it because it's not like my mustache has got dark to it. My my Arctic blonde chin. It's just the way it goes. Embrace yeah. it. Love it. Yeah. I'm, I've come to embrace it. I know. You know, sometimes my beard's so big, I can just like move some black hair over where the white hair is to like distribute it more. So I, I'm learning all the tricks of the trade. That would be the DNA part kicking in there. You got lots of options. It's lush. We're using the word lush today. It's our word on the show. The music is lush and so is your face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, HandyAndyMedia.com. There are uh, DIY projects. There are gadgets. And we're leaning a little more into the gadgets today, although Steve did want to pass on the text. Uh, hey, Andy, I uh, use mushroom compost for my sweet peas this year. Best year ever. So. Ah, love hearing that. Yeah. yeah okay. If, 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 if there was ever a spokesperson for mushroom manure, I'd be the guy. But I don't think they need a spokesperson. But I'm not sure. I would volunteer my time. On, I'm not on... sure that that's only specific to mushrooms, but <laughs> <laughs> take it as you would. Okay, uh, we this is what we talked about leading up to this, Andy, was to say uh, if you have an old computer around, you want to keep using it, but you don't use it for much. There are some ways you can start to do that now a la Chromebook. And for people who don't know, Chromebooks are like Chrome the browser. They have their own operating system that is proprietary to just them. So you can't just put all the same things on it, but you can do an awful lot, very simply low cost and not a lot of horsepower, maybe good for your old computer. Yeah. So, you know, it is back to school. So a lot of people are talking about getting new gear and Chromebooks have been very popular in education because like you mentioned, they look like a laptop, they function like a laptop, except all it really has is the Chrome browser. So no Microsoft Word, no, you know, Adobe Premiere and all these other types of software. 
you got access to the internet and that's, it does one thing and it does one thing well. However, I don't think a lot of people realize that if you have an old laptop that's, you know, say five or seven years old, you can bring it back to life. You could actually put Chrome OS, the operating system of Chrome onto it. So you get rid of Windows or you get rid of the Mac software that you you have on it and you put this Chrome uh, software on. And basically it turns any old laptop into a Chromebook because really what you need is a screen, a trackpad and say a keyboard. So what you can do is there's this operating system called Chrome OS Flex. It was introduced early in February of 2022 and it was a cloud ver first version of the Chrome OS. And what you could do is you could actually download this. You put it on one of those USB thumb drives and you pick what kind of computer you have. And it could be pretty much any computer from 2010 till now. So it's got to have at least four gigs of RAM, uh, 16 gigs of internal storage, which most yeah. computers Anything from 2010, from yeah, like they, can, they can all handle. But once you put it onto that thumb drive, then you put the thumb drive in, you reboot your computer, and it will actually install the Chrome OS onto that computer. You just follow the instructions. Bada bing, bada bang, you got yourself a new Chromebook. And you, best of all, you know, you save your laptop from the dumpster and you bring it back to life. And you could use it to do online banking, watch YouTube videos, you name it. If it's on the internet, you're going to be able to do it with the Chrome OS on your old laptop. There we go. Uh, good for, good for all the technology and not wasting things too. And if you have, say, uh, a, a mom or a dad that's a little bit older, the Chromebook is cool because there's not a ton you can do. They could still log into their webmail or their Gmail, but they can still watch Netflix. You can still do Google Sheets and read documents and all those yes. things, which is exactly like Excel, except it just all happens on the cloud. Just make sure that you set them up with, uh, the Gmail addresses. You don't have to have a Gmail address, but that really is the best way to do that stuff. And uh, I'd recommend that. Okay. Handy Andy Barrar, and it's uh, handyandymedia.com. Back to school, also looking to repurpose things, not spend, because you're, you're hitting me in the Hewitt house here, because this year we really almost needed a new computer, but we didn't. We put a new battery in the old MacBook Air. Uh, we're riding out the Chromebook as long as we can. Um, literally the Wi-Fi on the circuit boards held together with tape, but it's working. Um, because everyone's trying to save a little bit of money and not waste. Yeah, exactly. And this is the reason why when I'm talking about back to school, I'm not saying buy this, buy that. I know times are tough. You know, we got inflation. You got to just make things work. And if it's not working, fix it. So it works again. And one issue that I think a lot of people have and you need this for back to school is a printer. You know, a lot of people have these printers. They may haven't used it for a while and it just doesn't work again. And if you want, you can repurpose your printers. You can bring it back to life. And the first thing you have to do is check the nozzle. And there's a couple of ways you can do this. Most printers, they have software where you could actually check the nozzle through there. It'll make a test page. And if, the, if you see solid lines that are nicely in line, then your nozzle is clean. If the lines are all broken up, that means your print head needs cleaning. Some printers can do it automatically. You can say, clean the printer head and it will go through this kind of process to do it. Others, you have to manually do it. But nine times out of a 10, if you're having printer problems, things aren't printing, 
your nozzle probably needs to be cleaned, especially if you haven't used the printer for a while. And I, I see this problem a lot, Shane, with these inkjet printers, you know? They come with these huge tanks now of, of ink, but if you don't use it, say, during the summer because you're not in school, and then you go to print uh, an essay right. at the last minute and you realize it's not working, chances are it's that nozzle needs to be cleaned. And some of the, the ink jets do dry up. So some of those gigantic um, reservoirs of ink don't work in your favor too, also worth noting. I have a laser jet. It's a color one. It was like a low-end business one, but for a personal use, it's a it's a boat anchor. But boy, oh boy, is it reliable. And it's probably yeah. been six or seven years and it uses the laser toner, which is way more efficient. Believe it or not, I have this Canon uh, laser printer from like 2006. Like I was in graduate school when I bought this. I remember printing out like my, my thesis paper back then. And I still have it, Shane. It has kept working. And all I have to do is get the new toners. And you can get these like third-party toners online as well. So in this whole debate between inkjet and laser, I think I'm team laser. Even though they got these super tanks with, um, with lots of ink in it, I just, I've always had problems, no matter what. Every problem I've had with a printer, it's been an inkjet. Lasers never let me down. You just have to replace the toner and you're good to go. Yeah, it's like a once every couple of years sort of deal. It's expensive, but it's just a one-shot deal. I think mine is like $350 for all four cartridges. Uh, but that's even gotten cheaper over time. HandyAndyMedia.com if you want to meet my buddy Andy Barrar. He's handsome. All the ladies love Andy. Actually, they love Ryan, too. Someone went through the Facebook page at ShiftHeads.ca and re-liked all of the Ryan photos. That photo for the wedding you went to last year, Ryan, when you had your pink pants on. And um, and uh, it was just a great compliment. And somebody just picked through and clicked all the Ryans and like, like, like. So I get the feed, and then I'm like, oh, here's... 10 pictures of Ryan <laughs> in my feed because uh, somebody was liking it. So anyway, total sidebar, wrote Ryan's pink pants because Andy's handsome. <laughs> Not as handsome as Ryan, apparently, in pink pants. <laughs> we should put some pictures of Andy on the uh, on the Facebook page, too, then you can see it, or handyandymedia.com. Okay, we were going to uh, talk about a couple of things here that we promised. Your love affair for projectors, go. Not just any projector, Shane portable projectors this Ooh. is you know i've been in the tech game for over like 10 years so it takes you know I, it takes something like special to get me impressed and this year i have been reviewing a lot of these new portable projectors and each time i review a new one i'm just like wow and i rarely say wow these days so let me explain there's these two projectors that i had from a company called benq and they make a lot of great projectors but these are portable projectors. They come in a carrying case. It looks like you're carrying a six pack when you bring this with you. And you open it up and it's like a little projector in a box. You, they are battery powered, which How blows big is my little, mind. do you think? Like, is it like a couple of pop cans little? Is it? Well, like the size of a, a shoe box, I would say, or half a, hmm. maybe half a size of a shoe box. They're, they're different designs. And I want people to go look at them on my website, handyandymedia.com, where you can go to shiftheads.ca as well. I posted a video on there. So I got these two projectors. Both of them are portable. Both of them are battery powered. So you could watch without plugging them in for about two hours. So essentially what you need to operate these is Wi-Fi and just a big old wall. It could be a white wall indoors. It can be outdoors. It doesn't matter. And you turn these things on and man, 
changed. It is absolutely amazing. But here's what happened. I got these two projectors. One does 720p resolution and the other one does 1080p resolution. So my neighbor has this gigantic projector screen that he built um, in his backyard out of plywood. Like it's huge. It's like 20 by 20. So what I did, and I really, I was just getting my geek on, Shane. I got two projectors, one 720, one 720 and one 1080p. And I'm like, okay, I should be able to visually see the difference between the 1080p and the 721. It should look better, the 1080p one. Couldn't tell, Shane. I'm looking at it. I couldn't tell. I, I actually made a video. I want people to go to shiftheads.ca. Look for yourself. You'll see two screens. Each is about over 100 inches big. HD. Tell me which one is 720 and which is 1080p. The only thing you can notice when you look... And think about this, Shane. I got my geek on. I went on YouTube, queued two videos up at the exact same time, and pressed play. They're only off by like a couple of frames. So you can watch the two things on Animal Planet that I found on Netflix. And mm -hmm. you can see them side by side. You'll notice that the colors are a little bit different. But in terms of quality, I think you have a 50-50% chance of getting it right. And that was a very important lesson for me because it shows, and people make this mistake a lot in tech. Don't judge a book, or in this case, a tech product by the specs. The specs doesn't tell you everything. I saw the proof. I saw two screens and I couldn't tell them apart. And we're talking about like three, $400 difference between these two projectors. And I would have got the 721 if I had the choice. I just like the design, the form factor. It looks like a big head of cheese. You got to check it out on, on shiftheads.ca. It's a very unique thing. It's got a built-in speaker in it, Shane, Bluetooth speaker. So if you don't even use the projector, you could mm -hmm. use it just as a standalone speaker. And it comes in a carrying case. You could take it with you. This, If this doesn't impress your friends when you go to what, a barbecue party or something like that, nothing will. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely amazing. Please, folks, check this out, shiftheads.ca, or you can go to my website for the full review, handyandymedia.com. Nice. All right, there you go. Check it out. So Andy has been very vocal about Peloton. Peloton is, uh, we've only got about a minute, Andy. Peloton is fitness equipment, but if you want to use it, you got to pay for a membership fee and all of that. They've got some new access uh, that hopefully will make things a little better. Yeah, that's right. If you wanted to get a Peloton bike, you would have to go to their website. They sold everything. They sold a subscription, but times are tough for Peloton. People are canceling their subscriptions. So now you can get Peloton on Amazon. They're now selling Pelotons on Amazon, Peloton accessories, you name it. They're worried, Shane. They're actually thinking about a subscription where you're not, you don't even buy the equipment. You just pay a subscription to have the equipment and the subscription. So uh, Peloton, if you are investing stocks, I, I'm not a stockbroker, but stay away from that one. It doesn't look good these days. Hopefully Amazon can save them. Uh, Post-pandemic, everyone bought into Peloton because you couldn't get a trainer. And then it, that whole world came crashing down when all of a sudden people could go outside again. HandyAndyMedia.com if you want to check out Andy's stuff. ShiftHeads.ca, it's posted there too for an easy link. Follow his YouTube page and uh, go look at his handsome pictures. You'll feel better. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks, bud. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.